we are creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. Success is the ability to be yourself, 100% exercise your God-given free will. You live your life free. I mean, no intervention from social media, supreme, whatever. You live your life believing in whatever you want. You know, fully living your life and your God-given free will and influencing others because of that. Example, musically, John Coltrane played his God-given free will musically, explored what to him felt like he should explore. And in return, people appreciated that. And he influenced others, started a movement, all sorts of movement. That is an example of musical success. And complete success is that idea of being able to completely be yourself. Today on the Working Artist Project, we have the one and only, the one and only, Godwin Louis. Godwin is a saxophone player. He's an amazing human being, and he's also the CEO and co-founder of Experience IET. You can check out Experience IET at experienceiet.org. Uh, the link is definitely in the bio. So Godwin and I we talked about mastery we talked about his time growing up in connecticut his time growing up in haiti uh his life story we got into a lot of different topics and actually the voice you heard before mine was his talking about success so based on that alone i know you guys know that you're going to enjoy this show so sit back relax and uh yeah take a listen what i want to do is start with your uh, your past man like just give us a Tell us, tell my audience who Godwin Louis is. Right, right, right. Yeah, cool, man. So, my name, I guess by birth, that's what I was told, um, is Godwin Louis, L O U I S. Um, I don't actually have a middle name. It's funny, all my siblings do, except for me. I don't know what happened. It must have been like, you know, life in the Bronx in, in the 80s. So I was born in Harlem Hospital uh, in 1985. It's a special year. Oh, yeah. Um, I think you were born in 85, too, right? Yes, indeed. Special (laughs) year, man. Special (laughs) year. So um, um, I guess my parents at the time were living in the Bronx, actually. Um, Off the two train, I think, um, around the Bronx Zoo somewhere. Um, And... If I remember the story correctly, I think my mother, like, during labor was on the two train. Wow. And then, you know, because if you think about it, Harlem Hospital is off of the two train. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she just, like, got off and went there. Got off in Harlem and 
you know, went to the hospital. So I was, yeah, that's my, I was born in Harlem Hospital. And I would say like a couple of years later, we actually moved to Connecticut. It'd be 1989 or so, 88, mm-hmm. um, when I was three or four. Uh, we moved to Stanford, Connecticut. Um, so, again, I was born, you know, to Haitian parents. You know, my mother's from Haiti and my father's also from Haiti. Um, and, uh, you know, soon after, my, my parents also have like a church in Haiti, a school. My father is a pastor. Okay. Um, so they have a church, a school, they have a running, uh, I think like a nursing facility that one of my aunts is helping out with. She's a nurse. Um, and we, in the past, we've had orphanage. Um, we have a food program. Um, and the school is from K, pre-K to finish. In Haiti, they have 13 grades. So I think there's 12. And the last grade is called philosophy. Oh, wow. They call it philo. Yeah, I know it's deep. It's pretty much like, you know, first or second year of college year, you know? Okay. So essentially, when you finish high school and and, and country places like Haiti and a lot of other places like that, you essentially have a bachelor's degree because the last test is called a bachelor's test in French, baccalauréat, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um... I know a lot of times when we like, you know, measure education when it comes to other countries, you know, we usually say, oh, they only have a high school education. But it's like, man, first of all, they went to a lot more grades than us. And it's a lot more extensive. You see what I mean? Yes, indeed. So like when you finish high school in a place like Haiti and a couple of other countries like that, it's literally essentially having a bachelor degree because it's like the information that they've attained over like you know, the course of that time, you know, is, you know, as equivalent to, um, you know, a bachelor's degree here. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so we're in Connecticut now. Um, I moved to, we moved to Connecticut, Stanford, Connecticut. And then I think around 1994 or so, um, my father kind of decided for us to move to Haiti, man. So I lived in Haiti for two years. Wow, I didn't realize that. Um, I think like two and a half years. So like I came back. Um, I came back. Yeah, so I, we left in 94. So then I came back. When I came back from Haiti, the story behind that is I had to come back, my sister and I. Um, and so the, the last two is five of us. Um, the last two, two of them were born in Haiti, the last two. Mm-hmm. And the first three, you know, we were born in the States. Right. And um, so the U.S. government, I think, sent like a letter or a call to my parents saying like, you know, these kids are American. What are they doing this long in Haiti? What's going on? You know, if, if they don't come back to the States ASAP, we're going to send for them and put them in foster care. You know what I mean? What? Yeah, bro. So... My grandmother, who was living in Bridgeport, Connecticut at the time, um, said, you know, send him to me, you know, like he can you know, go to school there and all that stuff. And so that's essentially when my schooling started, man. So, like, you know, I think I was, yeah, I was in the eighth grade, moved to Bridgeport, Connecticut. 
and uh, with my grandmother, and I started the eighth grade. Um, so prior to that, I was homeschooled for the most part. I remember in the third grade in Stanford, I went to school for like two months. Mm-hmm. Like I was in like a special program, and then after that, we moved to Haiti. So I would that's why I say my schooling really started in the eighth grade okay. in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Wow. Yeah, so I'm a teenager. If you know anything about Bridgeport, it's the inner city in Connecticut. You know what people, some people call the hood. Because people think of Connecticut being not, but you'll hear about, you know, if you right. look into Bridgeport, you know, it's it's real. There's Bridgeport, Hartford, right. New Haven, yeah. Waterbury. You know, I, I think one of your, uh, one of your um, recent interviewers is from Waterbury, Jonathan Michelle. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like kind of like that same inner city vibe, you know. But I think Bridgeport a little more because of its proximity to New York. Right. So you have a lot of people that like, you know, tired of like housing and building. You move to, you know, Bridgeport. So my grandmother was living in Bridgeport. And um, I remember the first day of school, man, it was like culture shock for me. You know, it's like I'm going to school. I'm a teenager. And, you know, the things that comes with being a teenager you know what I mean? Like the peer pressure, you know, everybody's smoking. Right. I think that's why I never personally smoked because I was past that age of peer pressure because I didn't grow up in like that systematic, mm-hmm. you know, American education, way, which is like, you know, complete. You do your homework. You're going to pass to the next grade. It doesn't matter if you don't remember what the capital of your home state is. You did your homework. That's it. On to the second. You see what I mean? Right. So I, has that kind of you know those kind of things so i remember the first day you know i'm walking back home with like a little crew of kids and they're like hey man you should smoke and i'm like oh i think i'm cool it's not you shouldn't smoke either and they're like yo who's this kid like yo, this kid is weird Who do you, you know what i mean and this kid was like the popular kid so i didn't understand that dynamic like there's a popular kid he leads the pack you know because like you know we had people following us and he's like, yeah, so um, you sure you don't want to? This kid is weird, you know? So I was like, past the bully. Maybe it was that, but I didn't see it. You see what I mean? Right. So that was a blessing. So, um, but before that, actually, man, funny story about the saxophone. Since I'm sure you'd like to know about that. I actually learned the saxophone when I moved to Haiti. I picked it up oh. um, in Haiti in 94. That was one of the presents for being there because when we moved to haiti man i was depressed for the first three months you know i missed the u.s i'm like man all of a sudden i'm in this place there's no electricity you know there's like no running water and all these people are coming you know it's visibly poor you know right right right. and uh, my father said you know what since you always wanted to play the saxophone here's a saxophone and on october 10th 1994 man my dad said here and my and prior to that i was playing the piano because i come from like you know like a you know church you know a a christian heavy christian background right right. and a pastor's kid a pk you know so it's we learn music at the age of five so at the age of five i learned piano um and i always wanted to since my you know my older brother i'm the second oldest since he was already like you know really good Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to always play another instrument so we can play duet together. And I remember watch, watching Barney. I loved the saxophone, man. I thought I would like 
grab a hanger and shape it into like a saxophone <laughs> to play. You know what I mean? Right, right. And uh, finally, my dad said, you know what? Let's get this kid a sax to keep him occupied, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's really where it began man, in Haiti. So I started playing in the church you know, right away. Um, I started playing like, you know, I would hear like the street, the second line yeah. of Haiti, okay. that kind of culture. It's like so playing with those guys. Um, I already knew how to read. So I would play in like a local brass band. So when I moved to Connecticut and um, – in the eighth grade, I didn't join band right away. You know, I kind of, I needed a saxophone. And truthfully, I don't think it's ever been, the reason why I joined band, my uncle was against it. I have an uncle that's a guitarist. His name is Robert St. Fleur. He's the one that introduced me to jazz, specifically to Charlie Barker, mm-hmm. right when I moved to Connecticut, you know? Like, so at 13, he said, man, you, you know, you have an incredible ear. And you can, you know, read music and you can kind of improvise off of the blues. But here's Charlie Parker, you know, check this dude out. So he's so, you know, so when I moved to Bridgeport, um, my uncle said, well, I don't want you to join the band because they're kids. You're like, you know, the stuff you're playing and your experience is a little, you know, beyond what they're doing. Um, so but however, since you need a saxophone. I hear, you know, you get a, a free musical instrument, at least in Bridgeport. At the time, you get, you know, a free saxophone. Oh, wow. So that's why I joined the band, you okay. know? Okay. And I remember, like, um, my teacher at the time, Joseph DeGroat is his name. Um, you know, I went, and I think he kind of realized, okay, this kid can kind of play a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it was, like, the end of the year, too. Um, so then I graduated the eighth grade, you know. High school, went to high school also in Bridgeport, Bassick High School. Um, I think by then I was really into Charlie Parker. Um, I was attending a church at the time, um, and it was through one of my mentors um, by the name of Dr. Dwight Berry. He's a pastor in Florida now, in the Fort Lauderdale. Actually, I think it's Fort Myers now. Um, he introduced me to another pastor who just passed away actually earlier this year that, you know, I did a nice little post homage to him because he's sort of responsible for a lot. Mm-hmm. Like he took myself and another friend that I had in Bridgeport, Jose Ramirez and Nate Perez. And, you know, they kind of like bought me my first professional saxophone and paid for me to take private lesson. Wow. Right. So that was like great. Yeah. So that helped us a lot. And I think it was through that, through private lessons that I met this guy that changed my life, man. His name is Herb Wilson. Okay. He's a, he's like a psychologist in Connecticut. That's his day job. But he's like, you know, an innate class, super, you know, tenor saxophonist. Wow. wow. Um, and his whole thing was like the history. Like, you know, he was sort of like a father figure. Yo, the other part is when I came back, my sister and I, when we came back mm-hmm. you know, to live, you know, to when we moved to Connecticut, my father stayed down there in Haiti. My parents stayed in Haiti, I think, until like 03, oh. you know, what I mean, almost 10 years. Wow. So between that time, the time I came back in 03, I actually never went back to Haiti. Actually, I went back to Haiti, believe it or not, when I was in the monk, bro. Wow. Since the 90s. Really? So that's why 
Yeah, so we'll get into that later. So it's like a crazy story. Because, yeah, when I came back, I was disconnected, you know, with Haiti. I was Godwin Lewis. Oh, no. The Louis thing started in New Orleans, man. You know, that was like when I went to grad school, uh, when I went, you know, to the monk. That's when, you know, I became Louis because I was home in Atlanta for the summer. I went to the bank with my mother. And the lady said, my mother's name is Lucy. She said, Lucy Lewis. And she was like, no, it's not Louis. It's Louis. You know, it's Louis. Lucy Louis. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Hey, that's what mom wants. I'll go with that. Right. And it's funny because if you ask like cats that know me, like Victor Gould, you know, people like that, mm-hmm. Billy, they know at Berkeley, if you call me Godwin Louis, I'll be like, no, man, it's Louis, man. Wow. But now it's the other way around. You know what I mean? Because my mother is like, <laughs> Louis. I was like, all right, mom, I, I, I actually tell people, you know. Louis and she's like, no, it's not Louis. It's we're Louis. You know, do you do you say Louis Vuitton? You say Louis Vuitton. Exactly. And I was like, yeah, you're right. But I mean, if we're gonna keep it real, that's not our name. That's some French colon every anyway. You know, we'll right, get right, into right. that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's like, man, you know, like who the heck is Louis? You know? Yeah. I know. You know, he was the king of France. So were were we his slaves? You know, whatever. But. Yeah, so that's where the whole Louis thing started. But back to Mr. Wilson, man. So I think I was 15 or 16 when I met him. And I remember the very first lesson, we played Giant Steps. He said, have you heard of this song? I want you to solo by ear. He said, okay, you have great ears, but uh, we got to get your you know, harmony game together. We got to get you listening to more jazz. Um, we got to, you know, so every week he would, Give me like a little, I guess, bring his CDs and have me check out 10 people at a time. Wow. And um, I have to write about it or email him. Like, what did I think? <laughs> and the very first batch I remember was um, Kenny Garrett, the, 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 the tribute he did to Train. I don't remember the name of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he played, you know what I mean? It's like with Pat Metheny, where they do that Giant Steps in Seven. Yep. Yep, that was one of them. And the second one was Antonio Hart with um, War Hargrove. I think it's the one where they do, I don't remember, but I think you'll remember. I think it was like maybe in, they recorded it in Japan. Um, and then it was like Greg Godsby's Band in New York. Oh, yeah. Um, also the album with Pat Metheny where they played that to Wishful. And then James Carter, mm-hmm. um, Brentford Marsalis, uh, I think it was the Wequium. Oh yeah. Okay. Where the first you know, to to, to um Kenny Kirkland. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my joint, man. Yeah. That was my song. <laughs> and um he wanted me to like know some of the younger guys. Cause you know, I knew like Charlie Parker, you know, John Cook, you know, all that stuff. I didn't know anything contemporary. You know, I was playing pretty, you know, pretty much bebop and church. You know what I mean? It was like Charlie Parker and Church. That was my playing dance. But he was shot. Okay, so okay, you're 15. You don't know who Kenny Gary. You got to know that. And then also, um, uh, I think we also had, um, I'm trying to think what else, like a couple other guys, pretty much all the younger guys, Joe Lovano, um, you know, kind of everyone. And I remember like, I, I remember I didn't like Kenny Garrett. Because picture my brigand, bro. Remember Bebop Church? 
Right. Kenny, that's some heavy, you know what I mean? That's a little that you gotta be you know what I mean? I was it was too deep for me. But Antonio Hart, I gravitated towards Vincent Herring. Okay. Because it's like coming from like that cannonball like church, you know, that kind of thing. Feel good, you know what I mean? Right. And um it's funny because like a year or two later of studying, you know, I guess maybe that's what studying do to you. All of a sudden, some of the stuff that I liked before were corny, and Kenny Garrett was like, God, you know, like, right. that dude, that's heavy. You know, trilogy with, with um, yeah. I think it's Blaze, it's right? Blade. I'm drunk. Yes, Blaze. Yeah, that was, man, that, <laughs> that was like, that became my Bible, you know, for like modern saxophone playing. But in addition to that, you know, he had me like transcribing Herbie Hancock. Okay. You know, transcribing Finnish, Newborn, you know, Jackie By, like, you know, piano players too. So he basically. You know, had that was you, his whole thing. He had you in the shed, you know? Yeah, he really had me in the shed for two years, man. And then I think, like, by the end of my senior year, he said, okay, well, you know, I've, you know, done what I could. You know, I think from here, continue learning, you know, continue doing your thing. And I remember we also did, like, you know, like some theory lessons, mm-hmm. you know, where he would introduce the you know, composition counterpoint. Man, he helped me a lot because, you know, going to Berkeley, I was able to like a lot of the information weren't new to me because of him. You know, right, of course. I did my homework and he, I remember him telling me, you'll see like a lot of things to say, you'll see, you'll see later on why it's important to know piano players, to know bass players, to check out drummers, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean, to check out all the cats. Not just, you know, people that look like me, which we have the tendency of gravitating towards, you know, like, I, I'm not listening to, you know, this cat because he doesn't look like me. You know what I mean? Right. But no, this guy had me checking out, you know, cats playing in Europe, whoever was still. And it was up to me to decide, OK, this is not good. This is good. So that's my musical background. Right. You know, where I was like given the free will, you know what I mean, to accept whoever I want to accept. So that's kind of something that's dear to me. And like, whenever I share information with other people, I kind of keep an open mind like that. Okay. And I think that's the way it should be. You know what I mean? We should present people like, here's reality. Yep. It's up to Here's good. Here's bad. I feel like that's, that was my musical training, you know, like here. So it's up to you. But remember, these are the masters. These are the icons and, you know, the rest is up to you and what you do with it. And, and it was fun. We met every Monday at University of Bridgeport and um, for about two years. So that was like, you know, like an important, important. So, yeah, I really, you know, owe it all to Mr. Wilson, man. He really helped me out. Fun fact, I think he was also Wayne Scoffrey's teacher or maybe Wayne Scoffrey. I'm not sure. I think maybe Wayne Scoffrey might have took some lessons with him or wow. maybe, you know, something like that. Right. Okay. I guess Wayne yeah, is from so, Connecticut also. Yeah, Wayne is from Connecticut. I think the New Haven area. Okay. Um, and because um, I, I remember hearing that, you know, um, and I know whenever I see Wayne, we talk about or, or at least we've talked about him before. I guess. Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Wilson. So, yeah, that cat, you know, helped me out a lot, man. And then I felt like after that, everything was sort of like adapting, you know, going to Berkeley was like adapting to whatever is going on. And, right. And because of Mr. Wilson, I continued to study like that, you know. So I remember when I was at Berkeley, I would like take guys like, for example, like I remember studying Lee Konitz for like a whole 
gear mm-hmm. where I learned his melody, where I learned that vibe. And then from there, I'm like, okay, I need to check out Wayne Shorter and this crew. Okay, I need to now go back to, you know, Louis Armstrong again and check him out. I feel like going to school um, and, and Berkeley or in general, I think that's what college is supposed to be. Um, I think college is supposed to be the time if we're going to study this music. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to really get into it, you know, to check out some people, start composing, you know. So I really like took advantage of that time. They're like, okay, I'm going to check out Monk. Now I'm going to check out John Coltrane. You know, now I'm going to go back, you know, and, 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 and check out, you know, Lou Donaldson. I'm going to check out Ellington. I'm going to check out Thelonious Monk, you know, and whoever I can, you know, I try to like really soak it all up. At least check out the album, keep an open mind because Mr. Wilson, you know, his psychology degree, you know, his, you know, the psychology side to him kind of brainwashed me to keep an open eye. Right. You see, I mean, so I would be checking out every, everyone and everything and whatever I like, I would kind of stick to it. And then eventually, you know, after college, I think around the time I moved to New Orleans, I sort of went to like a musical identity crisis where it's like, who am I musically? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where you start realizing, damn, everybody kind of sound the same. Yep. We've been given the same information in school and there's only three gigs. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> it was time to like kind of find it. So I think, you know, the Monk Institute really helped, man, with with that, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, we were fortunate to to be down there with... um. You know, Terrence Blanchard, he was exactly what was needed at that time, you know, because right, right. the whole his whole thing was kind of similar to, you know, to Mr. Herb Wilson. Like I got to it from Connecticut. It's like keep an open mind and remember, like, you know, always be in the present. That was his thing. Be in the present. Push. Be in the present. Hone the notes you play. You know, think about the bar line. Just creative ways of thinking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um. You know, yeah, so that that's my musical bringing, man. Wow. I went all over the place, but no, nah, man, that's great. That that was <laughs> that was I loved every moment of that, man. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to I want to turn a corner here because mm-hmm. earlier when we were talking about, um, I'm just gonna say Haiti because I can't. I, I don't want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Hey, that's Rest how you say it. Okay, you know that's not. Yeah. So I, I what I have noticed between you and Jonathan Michelle and some other Haitians that I know is mm-hmm. Haitians tend to reach back to their country more so than right, anyone right, right. that that I have ever come in contact to. And like right, you alluded right, right. to earlier, you know, your parents uh, own a church and several other uh, uh, programs to help the people of Haiti. And now you right. own a nonprofit or you are right. a CEO of a nonprofit that right. uh, reaches into the Haitian community uh, right. to teach them a trade, which is music to better their situation why is it that haitians you think reach back to lift up their their brothers and sisters i think i think it's that the hand that haitians have been dealt man it's like if literally haitians don't take care of home um no one will man like you know and that's where you know that's pretty much where i'm coming from from the whole experience it um, organization because if you think about it you know we've learned historically you know the Haitians were you know, the first black republic 
They're the first to free themselves, and they've been punished by the West, you know, by Europe, by this wonderful country of ours here, the USA, um, and everywhere else. And as a result, you know, and, and you know, we gotta keep it a hundred. You know, Haiti is very African. Mm-hmm. You know, the world still, you know, being African is still, I guess, new. You know, right? It's still a new, new concept, if I can put it like that. Being African, the world still don't understand what that means. Or black, some people call it black, others call it African. But right. of African descent mm-hmm. is something that the rest of the world is still not really used to. You see what I mean? And Haiti is that place with a history of victory. Wow. You see what I mean? And as a and and also with a deep history and poverty. Mm. Some of it is self-inflicted, um, but you know a lot of it is you know done because of the West. So literally, if the Haitians that have been fortunate to move to the diaspora, whether it's here the U.S., Canada, France, um, I think those are like the major you know, Haitian populations outside of Haiti, if they don't reach back home, man, nothing will be done, you know? Mm-hmm. And you have that same situation here, you know, with a lot of, like, inner-city neighborhoods, if the people don't really help themselves. And I hope that we can start looking at it like that. If you really don't start looking within and helping your community, no one will, you know? I think so. That's one of the reasons why, you know, People like my parents, Jonathan, Michelle, and other Haitian Americans' parents, they have to reach home. And secondly, you know, the money that's sent here um, to Haiti is kind of like the income for a lot of Haitians, the main income. I think billions of dollars, I think it's about nine to ten billion dollars is sent back home to Haiti. So that's pretty much what's running the country. It's the the families working here to send money back, you know, to their sisters, brothers, uncle, husband, wife. That's keeping a major part of the country running, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, the and Haiti lacks in a lot of infrastructures, not only like road and structural, but educational infrastructure, you know, social economic infrastructure. You see what I mean? So it's yeah. like it's really important and imperative that like. You know, people look back, you know, and not really rely, you know, on the West too much because the way we look at it here um, as Americans, we also look at it like, damn, we helped this country last year. We kind of look at it as like trend. Right. Okay, now Haiti's trending with the earthquake. Let's help them out. And then if something else happened in Haiti, you know, Haiti had about seven natural disasters. In the past seven years after the earthquake. Wow. And when you're always asking for help for Haiti, you know, people will feel some type of way. Hmm. Like, wait a minute, didn't we, you know, already help them out? You know, didn't we, you know what I mean? So that's why it's important. This is why I started to experience IT because I remember last year they had a major hurricane, man, um, that pretty much wiped out the south of Haiti. You know, and the media was like, well, I mean, you know, we helped them out for the earthquake. It's literally wiped out, man. People lost thousands of cattle and homes were washed away. 
You know what I mean? So then I was like, how can I help? And, you know, I see, of course, you see all the foundations come out. Donate money to this foundation and that foundation. Mm-hmm. I came up with the idea of, okay, the re- the real way people will help out is if, if, if people actually visit Haiti. And I feel like, you know, as a Haitian-American, I have to, we have to start creating allies. You know, I have a diverse array of friends. They know I'm of Haitian descent, but they don't know anything about Haiti. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I said, you know what? I'm going to appoint myself as some sort of ambassador, find people, you know, artists, since I'm a musician. That's what I know. Let me try to help in the arts. You know, did you know that, you know, because of Haiti, many people don't know this, but, you know, Congo Square was started by the Haitians, the free Haitians that moved to New Orleans after the Haitian Revolution. So I've been doing research since 2010. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congo Square was, I mean, it's because of the Creole people that moved to New Orleans. Right. From Haiti, you know, during the Haitian Revolution. Remember, Napoleon was still, you know, in charge of Louisiana. And when the Haitian gained their independence in 1804, that's, you know, Napoleon, you know, that kind of broke the whole system. They ran out of money. And that's part of that's the reason why not part of that's the reason why that Louisiana was sold to the U.S. Okay, you know what I mean? And during the Haitian Revolution, you had a lot of people like. Louis Gottschalk, we talk about, you know, that's in the music of New Orleans. That's a person that came from, you know, Haiti, then know that Saint Domingue, you know, both islands, the Dominican Republic and Haiti, they moved there. Um, you know, Ferdinand Lamont, we know as Je- Jelly Roll Morton. Ah, uh, okay. That's also a, you know, of Haitian descent. Wow. You know, and you had a whole array of of people that moved there, and you see it in the culture there. And I was always amazed by that, but I was it was interesting to me how much I think it's because of Haiti's social and political state that it was never acknowledged when I lived in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember always like it's kind of acknowledged. I remember speaking to you know with Dr. Michael White, and he encouraged me actually. He said, "You know what, Godwin." Well, that's your job now to, you know, do research and find that connection. We know it's there, but, you know, to tell a, you know, black person in New Orleans, because remember that, you know, we're very divided, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that a lot of the ancestry and a lot of the culture comes from Haiti. You know, not everybody want to hear that. Just like not, you know, a lot of us don't want to associate ourselves with Africa. So that's one of the reasons why I began this research and, you know, I've been looking into every aspect of it and realized that, man, Haiti is a deep place, you know, musically, culturally. And it, it pretty much contributed so much culture and the arts, specifically all throughout the Caribbean. You know, the big four, as we know it, would not be the big four without Haiti because the original contuidants we know came from those freed slaves you know what i'm saying remember yes. these people were free roaming around they went down to south america you know helped simon bolivar free his people in south america and these are facts you see what i mean mm-hmm. and as i was thinking all of all of that stuff i was like man 
what can I do to really like make sure that people are aware, you know, especially in the arts. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. Do an organization where I bring visibility to young artists in Haiti and also for artists, you know, people like yourself to go there and experience it too. So in other words, it's sort of like an exchange because you have that exchange happening to the neighboring islands that Haiti have contributed a lot too musically you know if you speak to the puerto ricans the cubans especially when you go to the oriente regions of cuba santiago de cuba you know it's like little haiti man yeah you know so um i realized you know we cuba and puerto Rico, you know all the neighboring islands get a lot of visibility and haiti don't why don't haiti have that because haiti don't have allies Mm. you know they don't have you know i guess that kind of infrastructure that people can go like imagine this i bring you to haiti now you will see it for yourself and when you hear the stories you're gonna be like nope mm -mm, i've been there you know it's just like new orleans you know for instance like living in new orleans you know moving back i will hear somebody will say something about no oh yeah i hear new orleans it's like nope it's not true (laughs) i live there you see what i mean (laughs) yes i hear new orleans is third world you know people are just dying every day explosions nope that is not true i live there it's the same thing like nope that's not true i know what the media is trying to paint but i've been to haiti Mm -hmm. so you know the goal is to get people to go to haiti and um kind of bring that infrastructure to haiti you know have people experience the place check out the rich art that's going on down there you know how can a a place that gave birth to all the different negritude and pan-african movements that we have going around the world be last you see what i mean and i realized that it's Haitians that have to help themselves, like I was telling you before. Mm-hmm. You, do we, and I think that's the model that should, you know, that people should consider all all around the world. You know, you look within, you save yourself, then you can accept, you can reach out to others. You see what I mean? Right. right. So that's the whole, you know, idea and vibe for Expanse IT to create that self-sustaining culture there. You know, where like the Haitians can help himself where they can like you know record in haiti you know for instance if you if you're a young haitian artist and you record an album in miami or in new york you get more love by your fellow haitian rather than if you record the album in haiti Hmm. you see what i mean wow and so you know we have to you know teach the people to appreciate what they have and bring it to light bring that culture to light so I plan on, you know, taking you down there, man. Plan on taking all the homies I know, man, to go to Haiti with us and experience the place and also serve. It's a major part of what we're doing. You know? right, look, I'm ready. For what Let's we go. Do, Let's go. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> For what we do, we present workshops mm-hmm. because it's a multidisciplinary arts program. You know, we have musical music workshops. You know, we're looking for actors. You know, they can do a workshop on acting. Um filmmakers you can do a workshop with filmmakers um journalists and you name it actually we're even trying to extend it this year for instance we have a very successful make makeup artist she's gonna be down there 
And I told her, you know what? You're going to be presenting some workshops in Haiti mm-hmm. on makeup, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember it was proposed to me like there was like a soccer star that was interested. I said, we can set up a workshop, man, where you can meet up with some kids and, you know, you help them out. Right. You see what I mean? So yeah. it's like that idea of an exchange. And, you know, mm-hmm. our goal is not to import the language of Charlie Parker to Haiti, but we can import the tools that are needed to have like the, you know, the Charlie Parker of Haiti. Of course. Like where they can take their own, because you have that problem all over the world. Um, You know, our, our wonderful country here, I've done a great job at like telling people like, listen, we're the ish. That's it. That's why <laughs> Americans, we don't need to speak any other languages. Right. Because we've established we're proud of home. But, you know, a lot of other places, man, like, you know, Haiti, they, they left last. You know, but it's like the shift of the forces are so heavy to be like an outsider, to be American and to embrace America first, that they forget about themselves. And that's one of the most important tools is to remember home. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that way, people will take you seriously. You take care of home. People are like, wow. I've been to Haiti, you know, it was like this and that. And these people are proud, let's do it, you know? Right. Yeah. Listen, man, I want to, first of all, that that was deep. <laughs> it was like, hey, man. there's so much information, you know? So y'all got to check out, y'all got to check out this uh, uh, in support. Give all your money to, uh, to to this cause, to this charity, to this nonprofit. Experience IAT. And it's right. experienceiat.org, right? Yeah, A Y I T I I T. So experience, like experience, A Y I T I dot org. And you know, we look for volunteers to go to Haiti with us. You know, if you're, you know, a music lover, a lover of the art, or you'd like to, you know, experience and and, and visit Haiti, we set it up all for you. You know, and um, yeah, visit the website for more info and. I'm looking forward to what will come out of it too, yeah. you know, and be, hopefully, yeah, it's gonna be huge, man. Yeah, man. So, look, I, I got I got some um, people here on on Facebook, uh huh, and they have some questions for you. This of one, course. this one comes from uh, a good friend of mine. His name is Darren. Uh huh. My question is: with the way the world is receiving music now, Spotify, iTunes, etc., do you feel this has increased the jazz audience? always feel that people should know this music and its musicians are out here. I feel radio has done a poor job in exposing this music to the current generation. Right. I know it's a controversial, I guess, to some topic, but I partly agree with that. I really think that Spotify culture has exposed, you know, bring new exposure to the music because Firstly, you know, you have people like, you know, my younger siblings or my young cousins that are like, you know, a, a, a result of that me, social media push that we have. So it's like it becomes their musical taste become like tribal in terms of like the media says, OK, here's who to like today. Designer is it. We're no longer, you know, Lil Wayne is old school. And this is the artist du jour. You check that person out. That's it. I feel like when we were in high school, it was done a little bit more like that. You know, like in high school, it was like people listen to this or that. 
But now you have more options because, for instance, I can tell my little sister, hey, check out this playlist. Check out Esperanza Spalding. You know what I mean? Check mm-hmm. out Jason Moran and what he's doing. Right. You know what I mean? Check out Darren Douglas. Check out whoever. Right. You, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's easier to get them access to different musics because it, exactly, it's just... yeah, it it really does. And you know, you have people all over the world. I think more aware. Like when I travel now, people will be like, "What's your name?" Oh, I see your album on Spotify. You know, like wow, that's cool. So I think it's bring exposure. But in terms of, of course, CD selling all that, that's you know definitely killed that of course. for sure. Of course. of course, but you know, so, so it's like exposure or that. You know, we have to, you know, pick one, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Okay. One more question. This question is from um, another Facebook, Facebooker. Mm -hmm. He's a musician. So he says, as a single line instrument, how does your church music background influence your approach to both harmonic and rhythmic phrasing? This is a, you know, for for all the non-musicians sorry <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, for sure yeah no i think big time because first of all church is the number one lesson in near training you know what i mean like you yep. go they start singing the song and you find a key and then you pretty much it i think church teaches church is the number one to me today like modern what we call con- counterpoint mm-hmm. you know the idea of like connecting lines together I feel like start with church because with church, we learn about cadence. We learn about progressions. And um, you see what I mean? Yep. Like, and we learn, okay, this is coming here. The modulation is occurring here. This is a three, six, two, five, two, five, one progression. I learned it in church. Right. You see what I mean? Yeah. We learn, okay. Oh, that's why it sounds like, oh yeah, I know. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, got it. You know what I mean? So I think it definitely <laughs> helped. And rhythmically, you know, it's the same thing, too. You know, it's like it, it extends because we have, you know, you hear it done. So it's like harmonic ear training, rhythmic ear training. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And later on, when we go to school, we kind of put put it all together. Like, oh, I know this sound. Oh, diminish. I heard that sound before. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like. So it's pretty much like the prerequisite to like formal training. And I think it's important because it makes you understand the context hmm. of things formally. You see what I mean? If you're like, if you go into formal, formally composing, having that church background, you know, of, of, of um, call and response and all those different devices that we use, it sort of gives you like a first hand of like, oh, I know this. I know how it's done. I've heard the natural context because church provide that natural context, that natural musical context. You see what I mean? That it's not learned. This right. is what the song is. That's what, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Total praise. That's what that song is. It has all those harmonic devices. And I know a lot of the composers beyond a lot of the music, you know, they're formally trained. But when we're coming up, you know, in the church, we don't view it like that. You know, there's no one, you know. Yeah. So it's, that's where that's where we all learn to be in the moment is in church. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, so that, that came from Ced, Cedric. So, you know, thank you, Cedric. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, thank you. Shout out to Cedric. <laughs> man, I want to get into, because last time I saw you, we were talking, you were going to go. I was coming from Africa, I think, and you were headed back to Africa for right. a vacation, and we, we, we spoke briefly about it. But 
but I kind of want to get into that, like uh, going to Africa as an African American, or 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 I don't I don't I'm assuming you I don't know how you identify or Haitian American. Um, what did that mean to you, and what did you learn from that experience? Man, it put it all into perspective to me, man. Going to Africa made me realize that we need each other. Like, we all need each other. And by that, I mean, like, those of us that ended up in the Americas, those of us that ended up in North America, those of us of African descent, that is, that ended up in the Caribbean, those of us that ended up in South America, I realized it it, it put it all together for me. You know, because I remember being in West Africa, um, you know, and kind of realizing that, wow, they don't really get to mingle with people like me. That's clearly of African descent. Mm -hmm. But, you know, because of, you know, what occurred, supremacy um, and power Mm -hmm. ended up, you know, forcefully and illegally in the new world. And because I, I feel like there's a lot of things that are lacking that that because of man, you know, colonialism played a major number on us. Of course, you know, it introduced serious inferiority complex in a lot of us. You know, where it's like, well, my parents were slaves. So, you know, you know, it keeps we keep on having this thing in mind whenever things occur. You see, what I mean, we're like, man, look like we have like a long history of things that pretty much activate inferiority complex in a lot of us exactly. you see what i mean mm-hmm. it, keeps, and it keeps us in the cycle of victim of being the victim exactly so when i was in and mm-hmm. so there and and a lot of you know that people in the continent in africa went to some that that kind of thing but it's a little different because think about it, when you grew up in senegal you grew up with you know African leadership in terms of like on the on the money, someone that looks like you, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, what I mean, that kind of mindset, right. Uh, right. Right. The, the person, the, uh, the leader look like you, um, your teachers look like you, um, you know, a teacher, you know, uh, you know, a successful African doctor that look like you, right. you know, successful people that look like you, yeah. but because of, you know, this multi- um, the, this diverse community that we live in, a lot of times, you know, a lot we don't really get to see the representation like that. It becomes the classism is set up a little differently. Where a lot of us, depending on where we grow up, you know, it can be like, yeah, people that are poor look like this, and people that are rich look like that. And I think that like Africa sort of like present. Because of that, I think it affects the way our behavior, how we behave. It affects big time family structure. And I think that's one of the things we can learn from the Africans, like family structure, like you must respect your elders. Mm -hmm. That's something I think we lack in our community, but it's because it's literally because of colonialism. Yeah. We learned that, like, when we have respect, certain elders, they take advantage of us. Mm-hmm. So you always have to defend. You see what I mean? Yep. If someone keeps on stepping on you and you don't actually, you know, get up, you know, like, react a certain way, then you're a pushover. Right. 
and then they can continue to manipulate you. And then as a result, it creates, you know, more, you know, weird dynamics in terms of like, all right, I don't need to respect you. You don't respect me, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And I think that's one of the things that's important that we need is like family structure, knowing like this is your brother, like to love each other. Yeah. It's it's the really divided, man. Like we're really divided here. If you're a person of African descent from New Orleans and the South Side Chicago, first of all, you don't even identify with each other. You kind of see it like it's all about my hood and my family and God. That's it. That's why we identify. But it's not like all inclusive. And I felt like when I was in Africa, it made me kind of realize why we need why it needs to be all inclusive. Like the importance of like actually coming together under the under that umbrella of you know of embracing our African descendants, you know what I mean? Yep, yep, yep. Um. So that was like one of the number one factors, and then on the other side, I feel like social and economically, because we're Westernized here in this continent, they need to learn that. You see what I mean? Like, they need to understand the notion of, like, okay, you're being played. <laughs> right. You see what I mean? Remember, I said that was our weakness, but that's what they need. Yeah. So their strength, you know what I mean? It's like they, they a, a lot of times I see that, you know? And I'm like, man, you can make so much money. Like, you know, why is the French and the English, why is Europe literally abusing everything you have? They're taking it all away for free. Exactly. Yep. You know, I remember going, I was in um, in Cote d'Ivoire, and I went to, like, pretty much a black soap farm that was owned by, like, some company, like a Dutch company. And the people were literally working for, like, a dollar a day, you know, something really cheap. And and it's, like, a big profit. 90, you know what I mean? Like, right. a big profit. And I said, how come, you know, all the people that we have here that have that kind of power, you know, that we can go there and actually control the continent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, and, and the other thing I realized is that they scared all of us from going there. But when I get on the plane to go, you know, to wherever it is in West Africa, yes, which is where a lot of us are coming from, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's all European people of European descent. That blew my mind. It's you know they're the tourists they're <laughs> living it up Bruh. Big home big houses Blew and I'm mind. like man I can own a big house here too and have a damn farm I went on safari right you know how many black people was there exactly right yep exactly. <laughs> and I was like what I, the I, fuck I, is going on yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah oh man I was like man wow you know so. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, my, my mind was blown. I realized that we really, really need each other because yeah. I don't know why we really think we're like different species, you know, right. when we're the same person. I remember going to a tailor. I'm like, man, like I need some stuff. And he bought me like their, you know, I don't know if it's fake or real, their Louis Vuitton print. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, that's I said, oh, I don't need that. I'm talking about like I need your traditional stuff. Right. And he's like, no, 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 you don't need that. You you know, you people don't like what do you mean you people? He's like, well, every time, you know, the few times I had, you know, a black person from the Americas, they usually want like something westernized. And so I'm shocked. You sure that's what you want? Because I know, you know, over there, you guys don't really like to associate yourself with Africa. 
you know, so and I was like, no, that's I was like, okay, so we need to kind of hang and really learn each other, you know, like and understand that kind of thing, you know, right. Learn the idea of sharing. I heard I, I realized that a lot of us that ended up on this side of the world are not good with the concept of sharing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's coming from like that European supremacy thing thing that we've been taught. Right. You know, it's like we don't really like to share. Right. We gotta but take there care of they do take that. Care of each other. We gotta take care of each yeah, other. Yeah, we don't like yeah, sharing is nah nah, you on your own, bro. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're eighteen you get out of the house, you're on the that kind of structure I don't think it's best. Mm-hmm. You know, the, okay, you 18, that's the structure. You out of the house, that's it, you're on your own. Um, and to me, that's why Haiti bridged that gap. Because as, you know, a Haitian American of African descent, mm-hmm. I guess whatever that label is, um, I realized that Haiti's sort of the middle ground, that the bridge between the West and Africa, because, you know, hey, it's very African in culture. I saw a lot of similarities. When I was in Benin, Togo, Ghana, I was like, wow, this feels like Haiti, you know? Right. It's a very similar thing. However, traditionally, because, you know, Haiti's, you know, still have that French thing. So that, you know, new world thing. So it's like, to me, it bridges that gap. And I realized that, like, wow, we really need to you know, look at it as like what, 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 what it is. Reality, the reality is that you and I might have cousins that ended up in Brazil and Colombia mm-hmm. and Ecuador yep. and Ponce, Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and Santiago de Cuba or Oakland, California. Yeah. You see what I mean? Like literally, man, like we have, we don't know where, where, you know what I mean? So it's like the, the notion of division, like, nah, I'm not that, you know, I'm Western. I, and, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, I you know, they sold us. I learned that history too. Cause I was, you know, bitter about that. Cause we did sell our own, but right. I think if we understand the, the history of it, right. The role that the Catholic church plays, um, the, the role that tribalism play, right. see, in the West, we have the the, the the idea and the notion of color. Right. In Africa, we don't deal with that. It's more tribal. You're Ive, I am, you know, I can't, and, you know, you're Nago. Everybody to, to the Western, they look the same. How come they're so divided? Why are they fighting each other? Because that's the notion, and it goes to biblical days when we were looking at it like that. Right. More like you're the Philistine. That's why the Bible never noted, mentioned anything about race. You know, black people were fighting against the red people. And you see what I mean? Right, of course. So we forget that, like, the, idea, the notion of, like, we sold our own is the same notion that, like, you know, somebody can get shot unjustified and people don't care because this person is, quote, a different color. You understand what I mean? So, like, when we say stuff like, oh, they sold us, but it's like, no, but remember, you were dealing with different tribes. If your mom from this tribe kills somebody from that tribe, they capture you to you. They view you as an enemy because we didn't have that European, Eurocentric idea of color. Mm Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? It was more like, no, we're different. We speak different tongues. We're different people. Right. So I think that's one of the things that completely raped 
African culture. Like if you look at Sudan, you know, you know, the colonizer went into Sudan and took, you know, the the Muslim part and then the, you know, the, the, the sub-Saharan part, you know, and put it together to live under one roof. And right. they've been fighting forever. And a couple of years ago, you know, we finally split it into South Sudan and Sudan. You know, I mean, of course, the situation is more complex, but I'm saying that's what we did. You know, we went in there like, no, you, you, this is one country because, right. you know, you all kind of look the same. You're all colored anyway, blah, blah, blah. But not understanding the idea of tribal, you know what I mean? And when you go to a lot of this country, you're dealing with different tribes and it's essentially not the same at all. But they've had to deal with each other forever. Right. And I think, you know, where that's coming from, you know, that whole idea of dividing and divide and conquer, you know that whole thing yeah 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 man the whole africa thing is is so deep and uh i'm mean, going to africa did a few things for me it opened my eyes and it also uh ignited a fire in me to understand the people from which i came right and so, and so you know I'm, I'm in the process of doing like I, I i did a dna test and found out i'm from my people came from benin and togo hey so, man see you're my brother see what i mean yeah. Think, think about me too. I, when I did my ancestry test, I found out that my ancestry is Benin and Togo, uh, Congo, yep. um, and also Mali, okay. and then also Spain, Iberian Peninsula. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you too. You, you oh, all. I, and I think a lot of people looked at it as like you know, no matter no matter how chocolate you are, you don't have European, and you you know you look at me, you don't see the. But I'm right. eleven quote eleven percent. Right. For my, the Iberian, and it makes sense because Iberian Peninsula, that's modern day Portugal, you know, Spain, and okay. I guess some part of, you know, France too, so, you know, southeastern France. Right. And it makes sense. Yeah. They occupied, you know, the island that my parents came from. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? So it's, it's, it's sort of like, for some reason, some of us don't embrace the African side, you know? Right. And it's given that, sure, we have, you know, we're a little more multicultural than our brothers and sisters there not all but you see what i mean that yeah. connection that's what yeah. i found out yeah so it's like somebody so you know what i mean like we don't know the story man who was sold there who acted up in the field and then they sent there behind a jamaica or because i would hear that from here your punishment was to send you to the caribbean because things was rough so if you act up in you know the Carolinas somewhere they send you be behind a Jamaica. Hmm. And a lot of Jamaicans, because of its proximity to Haiti, went there. And another interesting thing about that whole thing is I took the ancestry test and it shows you like people you're connected with. Yep. And a lot of my people was actually it was like all Jamaica. Wow. You know what I mean? Well, I think they call it genetic community. Yep. And to me, it made a lot of sense because you had a lot of people going back and forth. So, you know, what I mean. And if you know nationally, there's a lot of Jamaicans and Haitians that be, if you know Dominican, they're like, nah, man, yo, you're, I'm like, we're all cousins, you don't even know, you know? <laughs> exactly. The Jamaicans say, yo, we don't trust the Haitian, they might do voodoo, the, the, you know what I mean? The Haitians say the same thing about the Jamaican, and it's right. like, right, of course. When, you know what I mean, my gen genetic community, like people that it always suggests that are my cousin. Mm hmm. It's always like some kind of, you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's, it, sometimes it's a Dominican person with a last name, Rodriguez. I had actually a lady, Dominican lady, contact me um, because it looks like we're like 
first cousin. Wow. Or second cousin, you know? Wow. And I was telling her, well, I know my parents are from Haiti. You know, I, I know you don't want to hear that, right. you know, probably. <laughs> but that's all I know, you know, like, and there's probably a connection there. Although I know that, you know, my grand, my grandparents were born in the DR. Okay. You know, it was one island, you know? Right, of course. On actually both sides. I thought it was only on one side. But my mother, my grandmother said that her grandfather came from there. Okay. Which explains the Iberian Peninsula side. Of course. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I had a, a Dominican friend on Facebook that posted her genetic makeup. And it was exactly the same as mine, but different number. You know, a little more, you know, Spanish. Right, of course. A little less Mali, Congo, but it was the same four, you know? Wow. Togo, Bilan, Congo and molly and it was like the same exact kind of you know yeah yeah and i was like wow that's interesting because if you look at us you know we look like we should hate each other because of the idea of the supreme idea of colorism right but yet you know like we don't know yeah so yeah man yeah that's deep yeah, man yeah. but y'all should go if you haven't done it everybody Get you, get you, get your ancestry situation handled. There's a bunch of companies out there that do that. Now I want to switch gears. We got, I got a few more questions. I know we've been on the phone for a minute. Right, right. Um, so I play this game. It's called the Word Game, and so I'm gonna say some words, and then I want you mm -hmm. to tell me the first story that comes to your mind when I say that word. Right. All right. First word, spirituality. Hmm. Spirituality. I think of. When I think of spirituality, to me, um, that's speaking of faith. Um, and that's having faith in the unknown, uh, faith that things will happen. That's literally what it means to me. I remember thinking about it. I wish I had a deeper meaning. But when I think of being spiritual and people say, I'm a spiritual person. To me, being spiritual means like having faith, like calling things in my life. You know what I mean? Like. Personally, I'm a follower of Christ because to me, the story of Jesus reflects nature. And it seems like that's what the African naturally, you know, that's what we were. We understood that. Mm -hmm. But that's a whole other, you know, thing. Right. But when I think of the idea of faith and calling things out, that to me, that's what spiritual mean. It's like you can you literally can do that, man. Like, call. you know what? I have five dollars in my account. You know, I, you know, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to have this amount, you know, mm -hmm. you know, that's so that to me, spirituality, faith goes hand in hand. Yeah. Mastery. Mastery. Hmm. Mastery. To me, mastery, that's. I guess conquering a weakness, you know. Yeah, I like that. Like you, you con <laughs> conquering a a weakness. Yeah, that's what mastery is to me. Legacy. Legacy. Hmm. Legacy to me goes hand in hand with success, and true success, based on my understanding. And what some of my relatives and some of my ancestors 
have defined a legacy and, and, and success as is the ability, this is success and legacy. Success is the ability to be yourself, 100% exercise your God-given free will. You live your life free. I mean, no intervention from social media, supreme, whatever. You live your life believing in whatever you want. You know, fully living your life and your God-given free will and influencing others because of that. Mm -hmm. Example, musically, John Coltrane Mm -hmm. played his God-given free will musically, explored what to him felt like he should explore, and then return. People appreciated that, and he influenced others, started a movement, all sorts of movement. That is an example of musical success and complete success is that idea of being able to completely be yourself Wow! and then changing others like that. That's success. I know we look at it like, okay, you have $1 million in the bank, but you came from the bottom. Now we here, but that stuff will go. Cause it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like, what did you do? How did you sell it? So what's the outcome? How long will it last? Mm-hmm. But Jan, Jan, John Coltrane and Louis Armstrong are forever. Hmm. Damn, that's success and legacy. That's that's that to me. Wow. Damn, bro, that's that was a great answer. <laughs> yeah, man. So we're gonna wrap things up here, man. I ask everybody that comes on the show these three questions, and this well, mm-hmm. I ask everybody this one question, and it's what are the three things that you're thankful for? Man, I am thankful for, I am absolutely thankful for Jesus, bro. I'm not even going to lie and to keep it real. And that's really because to me, he, like the idea and the story of Jesus is something that really helped all of us understand. If we truly like understood that, I feel like I've been free. You know, I feel like I'm able to exercise my free will. And at the same time, I can do good to others naturally, not because like I'm going to hell or, you know, whatever like that. And I think it's the notion of like loving others. And it really teaches us like how to fully live, man, like, you know, peace, the idea of peace and love. You know what I mean? Because I think we look at it like peace. So the idea of peace is like if I lose a dear one, how do I find peace in that? And I feel like as a savior, I believe in that. I feel like, you know, it, it shows us how to find peace. And that's always needed. Okay. You see what I mean? So I'm thankful for that. Mm-hmm. How that changed my life. I'm thankful for my father, man. Because as a pastor, I feel like he could have gone many different ways in terms of raising us. We could have, you know... We could have been raised with the notion like, you know, you're better than other people because they don't believe. I feel like my father has always been supportive and he has given the best advice. And and those are always like, you know, the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, I remember one time, man, (laughs) this is funny. This is good. I was dating someone, right? And I was like, man, for some reason, this is not really working. I don't know, man. Something is off. 
So I asked my dad, like, man, this is what's going on. And, you know, what would you do? Would you just break up or would you just... And, you know, normally human nature, they'll give you an answer. Oh, yeah, you should do this. He said, son, as a pastor, if I told you what to do, it defeats the whole purpose of having faith. Because the whole idea is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you're trusted, meaning like you make a decision. You see, I mean, your instinct, Mm -hmm. that instinctive moment, and you don't regret it. And he said, that's literally what it means. Like to make a decision is to be accountable. You make a decision, you outweigh your good and bad. Okay, if you let her go, can you live with that? Right. You know, you're going to say shoulda, coulda, woulda. Then you got to think about the other side. But the true having faith is where you pick one and you put, you know what I mean? And, 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 and you have the basic understanding of picking one and sticking by it. And I remember I will never forget that. I was like, damn, that's actually kind of dope. It takes the idea of like having regrets away because right. a lot of us have regret, And you know what regrets do? Creates all sorts of mental things like, man, I should have done that. Blah, blah. But the whole notion of like picking one side and say, I did the right thing. It's all good. Let's go. Forward motion. It's pretty much what you hear people talk about forward. That's what forward motion is. Like you pick a road. I'm going there. Okay, the road is done, so I got to climb a couple of rocks. All right, I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> I need to learn how to climb rocks then, you know what I mean? Right. And let's go. Right. So um, so I'm really grateful for that, man. Um, The third thing I'm, I'm thankful for, believe it or not, man, is America, bro. Hmm. It's, it's the country of my birth. The reason why is because, you know, I've been fortunate to travel all over the world. But you have to admit, man, like we we can do what we're doing because of this this country i know it was you know it was the founding was a little funny right and, and the history is a little funny but it's all here man and i think that's something you and i can talk about later man it, it, it's it's really up to us yeah for it to be what it should be the reason why it's, it's what it should be it has to literally to be with us if america is not doing what you think it should be doing for you and to you we have to reconsider and you know that's the only place we can do that where you have the option to reconsider where we can you know like there's a movement of like you know a lot of people you know and and the black community to like you know relocate their funds and you know i mean you can't that idea you can't even brew it anywhere else right exactly you know like there's a lot of things you can do where you can go on TV be like, yo, I don't like the president. I don't like him, and yo, let's get him out. Yo, right. he, you know what I mean? And I think the and 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 the reason why we have the careers we do is because we're from this land. So we got to be grateful for that, and we got to change it, man. That's yeah. why I tell people right now. I'm trying. I feel like personally, I'm understanding to me what it really means to be an American is to really like. Not be afraid to allow, you know, yourself to be free and allow people to deal with coexistence. Because I think if we say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you should be exploring your pursuit of happiness. However, I feel like we never um, make people question. We haven't really made people like have to deal with coexistence. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like when I decide to wear some 
thing, quote, that's out of the norm. You know, I decide to play some music that makes you feel some type of way. That's 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 my pursuit of happiness. And we say that it should exist. That's what we're saying. The fa- you know what I mean? The, the, yeah. the foundation of the country is. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. So that's yeah. I'm definitely grateful for those three things, man. Right. That's I would so. say. Sure. I loved all three of those, man. That was great. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, man. But before you, before we go, I do want to give you an opportunity to plug anything you want to plug. Your records, obviously, the nonprofit, or right, right, anything right. else to tell people where they can find and connect with you. Right, right, right. Yeah, again, you know, visit experienceit.org to see what we're up to, and that's e x p e r i e n c e a y i t i dot org. Um, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram, um, and you know we have a website. You can check out my website, Godwin Louis. Um, I have a lot of cool projects that I'm working on in 2018. So I finally have my debut album out. Um, then Darian, I know I need to send you three tracks. I got you, bro. Okay. <laughs> I realized I fell asleep when I was like sending it. All right, right. So right. I'll send that to you. Um, okay. I'm actually, you know. Again, we're you know getting ready to go out to Haiti for our second annual experience IT trip, uh, which will be December 26th till the 31st. Oh, if anybody have reeds, you know things like that, and like reeds, guitar strings, drumsticks, we actually have a crew, bro, of 200 drummers. Wow! And one Thailand, and one town, not Thailand, and one town that we've gathered, and that's one town. So I'm trying to get some drumsticks for those guys to bring. Um, my goal was to, you know, bring instruments. Last year we made them write their names, but because of funding, I can't ship some of the stuff I received. So specifically right now, I'm looking for some reeds for for the woodwind guys and some drumsticks, um, you know, guitar strings. And shout out to everyone that have donated. You know, like, you know, that really helps. You know, it really goes a long way. Um. Yeah. So that's what's up, that's what's up. yo. So listen, man. Godwin Louis. Ex- hey. Experience IET dot org. Y'all check right. it out. Yo, man. Thanks yes, for coming sir. on the Working Artist Project. Thank you, bro, for having me, man. Be blessed, man. You too, brother. Right, peace. I can't thank you guys enough for listening to this podcast and going on this journey with me week after week. But before you go, I would like to ask you to do a few more things. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Find out more at secondlinearts.org.